Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Vivia Chen, a senior columnist at The American Lawyer and a writer of the monthly column and blog, The Careerist. Vivia graduated from NYU School of Law, worked as a corporate lawyer for five years, and for the past 16 years has been a writer, columnist, and blogger. Vivia, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into your world as a legal blogger and columnist? I look at the culture and business of law and law firms, and I look at it from all levels, from people who aspire to that world, to associates, to partners, and I try to take a inside look as to, you know, why certain people seem to succeed and others don't. Vivia, when it comes to obtaining new clients and new projects within current clients, can you describe some tactical best practices, even some strategies that you think might be helpful for our listeners to understand or learn about? Well, I think first of all, it's really important to be persistent. And that means a number of things. First of all, it means really keeping in touch with people, whether it's a current client or somebody you just met yesterday, you have to sort of keep on their radar, not pestering them, but keeping them on radar. You know, you can do that in a number of ways. You can sort of, you know, touch base with them once a month, maybe send them an article that you've written or somebody else has written that you think might be of interest to them, or, you know, being more proactive and just calling them for a a drink or lunch or whatever. And the second thing is obvious, being really good at what you do and growing at it. And that means anticipating the client's needs, staying not only at pace with what the client's business is, but also staying one step ahead, over-delivering, understanding their industry, also what might be coming around the corner. Great point. Do you think there's an over-reliance on good work as a way to grow one's business? They shouldn't rely on it solely. I know a lot of people who are brilliant lawyers who couldn't develop business if it came in a box, delivered to their door. They're just hopeless at it. I think it's a base. It's something that you need to be confident about. But at the same time, I think the personal side of being a lawyer is not to be underestimated. I think basically People want to work with people they like and feel a rapport with, because if you have that as a foundation, you will have trust. And that's really the way to go forward in developing business. Great lead into the next question and a topic you've written on recently. In early June, your column was on or entitled Tips on Overcoming That Dirty Feeling About Networking. It was based on an article that was published by the Harvard Business Review. Lawyers dread networking because they feel guilty or they feel that they're doing something selfish when they're doing it. In that column, you talked about how you've changed your opinion around networking over time. What's been your personal experience? Think of networking, especially when you think of going into a big room. It taps into your fundamental primal fears. Think of dating. 
you think of the days when you're in college, and I know I'm dating myself when I talk about college mixers, and, and I understand for my daughter that no longer happens. But, you know, you, you're going to a strange room, you're, you're trying to make connections, you know, you want to come out of it with the love of your life or, or something close to that, or at least the love of the semester. So immediately, you're going to be feeling incredibly self-conscious. How did I overcome it? Well, I guess part of it is doing it a lot. There's nothing like practice that makes you more matter of fact about the whole thing. I did it initially because I wanted to have better contacts for my stories. The only way to do it is to meet people on a one-to-one basis. You have to jump into it. can't go into it thinking, oh, I'm just trying to get a great scoop or I'm trying to get hired or I'm trying to get a job lead. You have to go into it thinking, well, I'm here to explore. I'll see what happens. You also have something to offer. You, you can't forget that. You're not just trying to get something from them, but you probably have something to give back to them. In my case, as a journalist, I know I'm a great source of potential publicity for a lot of lawyers, also a great source of information. So I think for anybody going to that situation, you can think of yourself as a source of industry gossip or what's going on, what's new. You have something to say. You have something to offer, too. I'm in my early 50s, and networking has become much easier. Even though, Vivia, I've changed my career, I've changed the industry I'm in. So I'm actually entering into rooms where I'm in a very new industry. And and I have to say, it's that confidence, uh, that desire to learn about the people in the room, to meet the people in the room, that's really helped me. That said, I only force myself when I'm going to a networking event to be there for an hour. Every event, I say I'm going to go for an hour, and if I'm enjoying the time, I'm meeting interesting people, I'm connecting, I'm not feeling too uncomfortable, I stay longer, but I always say I have to stay at least an hour. That's one of the things that I've set up for myself. I also spend time on the outside of the room where the people that are not so excited about networking tend to be, right? <laughs> They're on the outside of the room, kind of standing on, on their own, or they might be talking to one other person. Do you have any tactical things that you do around networking at this point? Some people are very strategic about the way they network in a big room. First of all, you try, if you can, get a guest list to see, you know, who you might want to target or what companies you want to target. And certain people will sort of case the joint <laughs> where people congregate. You don't want to be in the busiest part of the room because you get lost. So it's better perhaps to find, you know, quiet corners where people might flow by. And so to me, that takes too much work personally to do all that. I'm probably a little more spontaneous about it. I will interrupt groups. If somebody's standing alone, that's an easy target. I mean, you have a pretty good sense when, when you walk up to people and just see whether this is a situation you're comfortable in. And sometimes, you know, you're really lucky. You just hit it off with somebody. And other times you just have to move on. To that extent, it, it is a little bit like speed dating. You know, if you talk to somebody for five to 10 minutes and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, don't be afraid to cut it off and shake hands and move on. Let's talk about the word dread. Any thoughts on how we got here where people would dread this? It's an unnatural way to make contact with people, the idea of going to a room full of strangers. I'll tell you what's made it a lot easier in the last few years, going to events where 
you know you're going to have something in common with people. And here I'm talking about things like women's events or events targeted towards a certain sector. In my case, I go to a lot of events for Asian American lawyers. I'd like to start a group, former lawyers. I think that'd be a really terrific group of people. (laughs) If you go where you know you're going to have affinity, that makes it a lot easier. And I have to say with women's events especially, it is such a pleasure most of the time because I think women are pretty honest with each other. You're pretty honest about why you're there, which is to network and maybe develop clients or develop some kind of future business relationship. Also, the whole sort of sexual indole thing is erased when it's a single sex event. And that's actually helped me in other events because, you know, once you're comfortable talking with strangers, no matter who they are, you feel a lot more comfortable going into more general events. It's practice. It really is. I think that's a very strong point. I attend a number of women's private equity events, and we do some that are wine tasting. And and you're learning about the wine with other women who might be just more comfortable asking questions about it because it's a group of women. You mentioned your daughter said that mixers are, are no longer part of the college community. Of course, I'm assuming it's because of social media. Do you think that has a lot to do with it, that social media has replaced ways that we used to network? That's an interesting question. A lot of people ask me, should lawyers be involved in social media and what you can get out of it? I would say the verdict on it is a bit mixed, and maybe it's a generational thing. I think Certainly for lawyers of a certain age, let's just be arbitrary, say baby boomers or even slightly younger. I think the social media thing is a total mystery. They can't be bothered. And if they can't be bothered, they probably shouldn't do it because they'll be pretty lousy at it anyway. But certainly for younger lawyers, I think it's it's an efficient way to get your name out there or just to have it stay out there, I should say. You know, it's more conspicuous if you're not out there at all. Not that you have to be tweeting every day or put, posting things on LinkedIn every day, but I think you just want to be, you know, you want to cover those basic social media spaces. So let's change direction slightly. The economy in our working lifetime has changed since 2008. Initially affected a lot of business, and I would say more recently, professional services and efficiencies brought on by technology and a changing environment where it's more competitive to get new clients, keep clients, expand within clients. Do you have any thoughts around how this change in the market has affected business development? You know, what are you hearing out there? as far as how people are responding to these changes, especially in the AM Law 100? I think people are scared, frankly, and a little lost as to what they should be doing. Hence, all this emphasis on business development. I think it's really quite true that there's very little fidelity left between institutional clients and law firms and with the whole phenomenon of businesses seeking out bids from law firms to to award businesses. You know, it's, it's a very cut and dry and personal way of, of doing things. But that's I will emphasize again that law is still a personal relationship business, despite the fact that it's a lot more competitive and a lot more cutthroat 
at the end of the day, the one-to-one relationship you might have with general counsel or deputy general counsel really, really counts. And you can't underestimate that. It's really important to keep up that personal end of things and not get too lost in what else is going on. Guests on Left Foot have talked about having that strong connection to their business, doing research on your client's business, being comfortable talking about business, not just the law, and how legal matters relate to business, a way to build that confidence with those clients. What advice would you give that millennial, that mobile, that global lawyer starting out? I would be pretty methodical about this whole thing. At the same time, I think people should relax and have fun at it too, which seems to be a bit of a contradiction. You have to do it, but you have to be somewhat zen-like about it. I think if you're at a large firm, I think you should take a two-pronged approach to this. First of all, you need to develop contacts within your own firm, which means don't be shy about approaching a partner who's running a department or who's practicing in an area that intrigues you. I would approach not just one, but I would consistently probably approach three or four partners a month for lunch or drinks or whatever. I think they'll be flattered. First of all, you'll be shocked how associates are really scared of doing that. They feel like they should not be approaching them, but they can only be called upon. I certainly felt that way when I was a young associate. Partners to me were out Mount Olympus, and I didn't think they would deign talk to me. Because of that attitude, these partners seldom get approached. And some of them, not all of them are great people. Not all of them are sweethearts, I should say, but many of them are. And I think people will be surprised at that. And the second thing I would do is be systematic about your outside relations. It's always better, I think, to approach people on the business side who are more or less around your level. It creates a very easy relationship. And over time, you will see that both of you will grow together. And people should do that with people on the business side, as well as people on the legal side. And I would go a step further and just be open to people generally, because I hear this story over and over again, which is that you just never know where business is going to come from. I've heard people say that they've developed business from paralegals who worked at their firm or businesses from somebody who went to law school with them, eventually, you know, became CEO of some startup. You just don't know. And I guess the final thing I would say is try to be nice to people. Again, this seems like commonsensical advice, but over and over again, I've heard that if you are cordial, respectful of people of all ranks, that will pay dividends in the long run. Great advice. Vivia, you have a great column. I enjoy reading it. What do you enjoy most about the work that you do as both a journalist, a columnist, as well as a blogger? What do you enjoy most? I enjoy the freedom to write what I want to. A sense of personal freedom, I think, is really important to a lot of people in their happiness about work. And for me, that was absolute paramount. To me, the greatest part of my job is that I get to criticize the legal profession, occasionally poke fun at it, hopefully in a constructive way. But the best thing is I don't have to do it. (laughs) I was never cut out to be a lawyer, quite frankly. At the same time, I'm absolutely intrigued by, you know, the business side of law and the personalities in it. It's a very individualistic kind of profession. Even though 
you think of big laws being very corporate and it is. At the same time, you know, it comes down to personalities and it comes down to the kind of personal relationships people have with each other. Vivia, we hear from women lawyers that they feel that they're at a disadvantage because they're not partaking in the activities that men general counsel are participating in, men business leaders who are purchasing. How do you feel about that? Do you think that is one of the challenges that women face in business development? Is that part of our past? I think it's become less and less important. I think men generally, at least the younger men, are a little bit more aware that they shouldn't start out every conversation talking about sports, what game they saw this past weekend. Don't get so hung up about how men bond. It's just not worth their energy. One of the reasons is that when you're establishing relationship, try not to think strictly in terms of, oh, will this lead to business? Let the relationship be more natural. The best relationships really do evolve from a friendship of sorts. I think there's so many ways to bond. And also there are so many more women who are in charge of hiring these days. So so those kinds of expectations, I think, have fallen by the wayside. You know, another area that we didn't talk about when we were chatting about networking, and it's very similar to what you experience when you're doing business development, is that both in networking, and maybe this is where the dread comes from, and in business development, there's rejection. Could be one of the reasons that folks are and especially women are a little less comfortable with business development and networking. Any thoughts on that? I think women do take it worse. And the reason is because men are used to rejection. You know, if you think about the way they grow up, they're the ones who are supposed to ask girls out on a date. And what they found over time is that, you know, they'll ask the first one and she'll say no. And they'll ask the second one and she might still say no. But, you know, they ask enough times, sooner or later, somebody will say yes, right? We can take comfort from that. And and perhaps, you know, women shouldn't take rejection so personally. I realize it's difficult, but, you know, as I said, if you do things enough, if you set certain quotas for yourself, you know, in terms of I will go to X number of events a week, then I think it'll become a lot easier. Great insight, great feedback. Vivia, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.